Jesus, we do believe that when your word is explained, your voice is heard, and so we just want to hear your voice today. We come walking in with so much that we need you to speak to. God, thanks for the kids in the room. Thanks for how you constantly put kids at the center of the kingdom and how you pointed to children and said, if anybody would be great, if anyone would come after me, he must become like this child. So God, help us to become like children today as we listen to you willingly and obediently. In Christ's name, amen. In those final moments of his life, Jesus, hanging on a cross, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is really good news for us because we often feel alone. We often feel abandoned, we feel forsaken, we feel overlooked. And so in those moments in our life, when we feel forgotten and forsaken and alone, Jesus' cry, my God, why have you forsaken me, becomes our cry in those moments following a terrible diagnosis, in the moments of grief after a funeral, in those moments of being anxious and totally overwhelmed, when we cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We find good company in Jesus. At that cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Became the question on the hearts and minds of those followers of Jesus on that first Easter Sunday. You know, at Christmas time, we sing a song and it says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. But on that Good Friday, it's 2,000 some years ago, they watched the hopes and fears of all the years smashed and crushed and beaten and bloody and hung on a cross and laid in a tomb. And so these people that have hung their lives on Jesus who have followed him and who have believed he is the master and the way and the Messiah, their hopes are dashed and they find themselves asking, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this becomes a particular question for a woman named Mary, one of Jesus's first followers, one of Jesus's closest friends by all accounts. Mary has just watched her friend and her master's body laid into a tomb. And yet early on that Sunday morning, as the, the sun was creeping across the horizon, Mary finds herself wrestling with this question, God, why have you forsaken me? Wrestling with this question and somehow drawn to the tomb of Jesus. And what she finds there is entirely surprising and eternally unforgettable. We're going to look at John chapter 20 today. And if you have a Bible, you can flip there, Google John 20 on your phone. Some of the stuff will be on the screen. John begins it this way in chapter 20. He says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. What drew Mary to the tomb of Jesus, we'll never understand, but we could certainly guess Jesus was one of Mary's closest friends on earth, and she had come to understand him as Messiah and Lord and Savior. And that crushing grief, that overwhelming sorrow drew her like a magnet to the tomb of Jesus. Listen, Mary had listened closely to the teachings of Jesus. She had sat at his feet in her living room. She had watched Lazarus, her brother, stumble out of a tomb at the sound of Jesus' voice. And on that first Palm Sunday, about a week before these events, Mary opened a bottle of perfume, poured them on the feet of Jesus, and washed his feet with her hair. And for this, Mary was mocked 
and derided and looked down upon. But Jesus says to her and says to all who are gathered, he says, she did this in preparation for my burial. When Jesus said that, she hadn't fully understood the words clearly until right in this moment when she's present at the tomb of Jesus, seeing his body buried. And so to the tomb of Jesus, Mary goes. And when she arrives, she finds what she did not expect. The tomb was open. This was impossible, or at least it should have been. See, the tomb of Jesus had a huge stone, really a small mountain, rolled in front of its entrance. Now, whether that was to keep outsiders from getting in or insiders from getting out, we'll never know. But they laid a stone there. Mary had seen it with her own eyes, and now she shows up early on that Sunday morning, and the tomb is open. And to her embarrassment, Mary's first thought were the words of her mother, Were you born in a barn? Open the door or close the door. Don't leave it open, inside or outside. Mary Mary sees this. She is stunned with awe. Now Now, the tomb being open is a joyful thing to you and me, but it wasn't for Mary. It was for Peter and John. John says that Mary ran, got Peter and John. They look into the tomb. They're happy. They leave, but they leave Mary outside the tomb weeping. See, she's afraid somebody has entered into the tomb and stolen the body of her friend. Somebody has desecrated his body, so she weeps outside the tomb, even as her friends are all excited. She doesn't quite get that. But Mary is a woman of devotion, and so she's a woman of courage. Mary's a woman of devotion, so she's a, she's a woman of courage. And so in my mind's eye, I see her outside the tomb gather herself and wipe the tears from her face, heave a deep sigh for courage, and step into the tomb and look at what she finds in verses 11 and 12. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, She stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, they said, why are you crying? Mary enters the tomb that is open, but the open tomb is not empty. She finds the tomb occupied. She finds the tomb occupied by angels. Angels. Angels who came to Mary, the mother of Jesus, a different Mary, and said, behold, the spirit of the Lord will overshadow you and you shall conceive a son and you shall name him Jesus. Angels who came to Joseph, the betrothed of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and said, your betrothed Mary will conceive a son and he will save his people from their sins. Angels who broke open the sky before shepherds and said, behold, I give you Good news that will be for great joy for all the people. For unto you this day, born in the city of David, is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Angels who announce the birth of Jesus show up in his empty tomb. Having already given good news, they have even better news for us. But catch this, every time somebody sees an angel in Scripture, they freak out. See, angels are not precious moments dolls from my grandma's china cupboard. You know what I mean? Like they're snuggling kitties and bunnies, and they're so soft. No, angels are warriors of heaven's armies, and so they are scary. Every time someone in Scripture sees an angel, they tremble in their boots, and so angels have to be like, whoa, 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 be not afraid, chill out, pump your brakes, it's gonna be okay. But can I tell you what? Mary is a woman of devotion, so she's a woman of courage. She sees not one angel, but two, and she is the only person in all of scripture, the only one who sees angels and is unafraid. The only one. By the way, that's not angels, nor is it a raccoon, it's just like what it does when it's warm. So nobody's coming to get you. 
They don't have to say, fear not. See, Mary is shaken, but she's not stirred. Already is something that she is changing in her, so she is not afraid. And so Mary says to these angels, and they say, why are you weeping? She just says matter-of-factly, because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. Now, Mary's bold and brave and, and tough. I mean, this conversation with the angels ends as abruptly as it began, because in verse 14, the text says, she turned to leave and saw someone standing there, It was Jesus, look at this, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked, who are you looking for? Now she thought it was the gardener. Sure, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you put him and I'll go get him. Now verses 14 and 15 should come with like spoiler alert, right? Because Mary is looking full in the face of Jesus and she does not recognize him. She is seeing the risen Jesus and yet not seeing him at the same time. This little irony happens over and over and over again in the New Testament. Something post-resurrection about Jesus is different. He is entirely who he is and yet and somehow a little different. This is like the phenomenon husbands when like your wife gets a haircut, you're supposed to notice, you know what I mean? Because she's who she is, but a little different. You know what I'm saying? This is kind of what's going on here. See, Jesus is entirely who, and I'm good at this. I am. Um, So I can teach you guys. Let's have, we have flashcards. It's a whole thing. She looks at Jesus and she doesn't recognize him because something about him has changed ever so slightly. His glorified, resurrected body is something that we've never seen. Mary looks Jesus full in the face and doesn't recognize him. So can I ask a question? Is it possible that Jesus has been a part of your life this whole time and you've just never seen him there? Is it possible that Jesus has been in your life this whole time at every little part of your story this whole time and you just didn't have eyes to see him? Is it possible that even in your worst, most horrific moments, there was Jesus? Is it possible that Jesus was in the room when we stuck the needle in our arm again? Was it possible that Jesus was there when you said, I want a divorce? Is it possible that Jesus is there at the funeral, in the doctor's office, in the hospital room? See, we find ourselves asking God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? We find ourselves asking, my God, my God, why, why, why have you forsaken me? Where are you when I can only, I'm barely making it paycheck to paycheck. Where are you when I have kids that are becoming teenagers and I have no idea what to do with them? Where are you when I have kids that are in elementary school and I have no idea what to do with them? Where where are you when I have kids and I have no idea what to do with them at any age? (laughs) Where are, where are you when as an adult child, my parents are driving me crazy? Cut that from the recording. I... Where are you when our finances are bottoming out? What if, what if this Jesus who stands beside the empty tomb and is unrecognizable to Mary, what if this Jesus has been in all of those places and you just didn't have eyes to see him? Now listen, you might be here and you might have a drug problem, by which I mean you got drugged to church today, okay? You don't wanna be here and that's okay. You don't really have any interest in Jesus, and yet all the same, at every moment along the way, Jesus was in the room, in the conversation, and part of it. Listen, you might be following Jesus, and I don't know everybody's stories in here, but if I'm caring for you, I'm caring for you, and I know what you're walking through. What if in that thing, what if in that horrific, hard thing, Jesus is right there? I mean, if that's true, if it's true that Jesus is right there. I mean, almost like 
he's in the peripheral of your eye. You just can't quite ever, you, he's right there and yet not. If that's true, man, I want to have eyes to see that. I want to have eyes to see that in the midst of my struggle. I want to have eyes to see that on this road that I'm walking that is so hard. And so how does Mary come to recognize Jesus? Look again at verses 14 through 16. She turned to leave, saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? What were you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. If you take him away, tell me where you put him, Mary said, and I'll go get him. Verse 16, one word, Jesus says, Mary, Mary, Mary. And the minute she hears her name from the mouth of Jesus, she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Listen, she looks full in the face of her Lord and her master and her creator, the lover of her soul in life. And she does only recognize him only when she hears him call her name. Jesus has been a part of your life in your worst and best moments and your darkest hours and your brightest ones. And the only thing that we need to be able to recognize him in those moments is to hear him calling our name. It's as simple as hearing your mom call up the stairs or your husband call from the next room. Listen, Jesus had earlier said in John 10 that the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And after he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run to him. They'll run from him because they don't know his voice. Listen, Mary hears her name. She hears her name spoken by the voice that calmed the winds and the waves. She hears her name spoken by the voice that spun planets and stars and, and black holes into motion. She hears her name spoken by the voice that called her brother Lazarus from death to life out of the tomb. She hears her name spoken by Jesus and everything absolutely changes. Listen, we could debate and try to figure out Easter. Historians have been trying to show you, here's 15 reasons the resurrection is real. Scientists will tell you, here's 15 reasons why it's not real. Let's get some philosophers together. They'll debate. I went to, I've got an undergrad and a master's degree in, 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 in Bible. Like I can just give you loads and loads of, look at what this means and how exciting is this? And we overcomplicate it. We overcomplicate understanding Easter because what if understanding Easter, what if the message of Easter for us today is as simple as this interchange that happens between Mary and Jesus. What if it's as simple as he says your name and you hear it and you see him? Mary hears her name and she falls at the feet of her master and says, and, and Jesus says this crazy thing in verse 17. He says, don't cling to me, which is like what every mom has said a million times, right? Like, don't cling to me. I have three younger brothers and uh, two of them are twins. They, when you have twins in your life, they shared a womb, so they literally have no sense of personal space. I mean, my twin brothers are the closest close talkers. Like, the first time they ever met Steph, like, we're at my house watching a movie, and, like, my brothers are just sitting on her feet. Like, that's weird. Have no clue. They just don't even know. Listen, he says, don't cling to me, which is what I've said to my brothers my whole life. Don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. I don't say that part. He says, go find my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and yours, to my God and your God. See, Jesus' word strike us as odd because if I were Mary, 
and I saw the risen Jesus, I would throw my arms around his neck and you'd have to pry me off of there. But listen, Easter is not a time for snuggling. Easter is not a time for hugs. Easter is not a sentimental time. Easter is a time for action. Easter is a time for action. John 20, man, there's running and heaving and crying and yelling. I mean, there's also, Easter is a time for action. It's not about fuzzy bunnies and Easter eggs and pastels, although you all look great in your pastels. Good job. It's not about that. You know what it's about? It's, it's about action. And so Jesus says, go tell my brothers, go find my brothers and tell them. And Mary Magdalene, it says, found the disciples and said, I have seen the Lord. When Jesus calls your name, it changes everything. He doesn't just calm the wind and the waves and make you feel better. He doesn't just call you from death to life. He calls you into a whole new kind of life. He calls you into a new kind of journey in which you join Jesus and the transformation of the world. Oh boy. Cal, I just came to Easter. I'm kind of here. I want to do this thing. I don't really want to sign up for transforming the world. I don't want to be a Power Ranger. I don't want to be a superhero. I don't want to be an Avenger. I kind of just want to, can I just, but listen to what N.T. Wright says about Easter. He says, made for spirituality, we, we wallow in introspection. Made for joy, we settle for pleasure. Made for justice, we clamor for vengeance. Made for relationship, we insist on our own way. Made for beauty, we are satisfied with sentiment. But the new creation has already begun. The sun has begun to rise. Christians are called to leave behind in the tomb of Jesus all that belongs to the brokenness and incompleteness of the present world. That, quite simply, is what it means to be Christian, to follow Jesus Christ into the new world, God's new world, which he has thrown open before us. See, Easter is all about following Jesus into this new world. That's where he sends Mary. What is most important about Easter isn't Easter itself. What happens after Easter is what matters most. What happens after Easter is what matters most, which is why next Sunday I want to invite you back, if I've not scared you away or grossed you out, that you come back, we're doing a special Sunday after Easter Sunday, because what happens after is what matters most. What happens after is what matters most. You know, when Jesus walked the earth and he was teaching, he often repeated a very simple phrase. He would say over and over again, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So pithy, Jesus. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, she who has ears to hear, let him hear, let him listen. Can I tell you the problem with that is we could, we, we could not hear. This thing called sin had stuck cotton in our ears. It had put noise-canceling headphones on us. And even if we wanted to, we, we couldn't hear a thing. But on Good Friday, the death of Jesus cancels the power of sin. And so Paul writes, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. See, sin had stopped up our ears. The things that we have done to ourselves and to each other became like, when I was a youth pastor, all of my kids were into heavy metal, says the guy in a vest and a tie. Obviously a great fit. And uh, listen, like I would be three, we had a, like a venue in our youth room and they would play music and it was like screaming into the thing. And if you're into that, that's great. But I was just like, whoa. And your ears would just ring. The things that we've done to ourselves and to each other just make our ears ring. And soon we lose 
all of our ability to hear, we go deaf, and we couldn't hear if we want to. And so Good Friday is good because when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He then says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and this silence falls on the earth. And that silence was so loud, it unplugged our ears, and we could hear the first time. And I believe I have something to show you in that regard. Lachlan. First hearing aid. With sound. Hello, Lachlan. There we go. Well, hello. Oh, darling. Oh, darling. Oh, Hi. Oh, Hi. On Good Friday, Jesus' death pulls the cotton out of our ears and rips off the noise-canceling headphones so that when we rise on Easter Sunday, something remarkable happens. We can hear him calling our name. We can hear him calling our name. Can I tell you what's crazy? Lakeview High School, class of 2007, there were like 18 Kyles. God knows the difference between me and all the other Kyles. God knows the difference between everybody that has your name and you. He knows your name. And when we hear him calling our name, we suddenly see him in the midst of our stories. And so I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know about the financial fallout. I, I can't imagine about the struggling marriage, the struggling relationship. I don't know about the parenting crisis. I don't know about the weird stuff with your in-laws. I don't know about the addiction or the shame or the failure or the slander or the gossip or the exclusion or the hurt. Here's what I just need you to know this Easter. Jesus is calling your name and that changes everything. Let's pray. God, you are calling our name, and I just pray for those of us that really have little regard for that in this moment, that you would somehow yell louder than we can, that you would be louder in our lives than the many voices that we hear. Help us to hear your voice this Easter, Jesus, and help us to be transformed in the hearing. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.